0: Always Right Radio, on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host,
3: Bob France
2: Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. It is a Thursday, the 15th morning of the 12th month in the year of our Lord, 2022, and something big is coming today. At least that's what we've been told, something Major, from former President Donald John Trump. He wants you to know that something big is coming, and he wants you to know that it's going to be big and heroic. Literally, that is exactly what he said in his Truth Social post
3: yesterday. America needs a superhero. Cartoon.
2: The cartoon is awesome. The <laughs> It's a 15-second little animated cartoon of Donald Trump standing in front of uh, Trump Tower, pulling his shirt open uh, to reveal the S for Superman, but of course it's a T for Trump. And the X-ray vision from his eyes, again, just think Superman, uh, laser focusing straight ahead. And then the uh, video cuts to major announcement Thursday, December 15th. It's coming. Is it a running mate? Is it endorsement of Ron DeSantis because he sees writing on the wall? Is it maybe you know new nicknames for some of the opponents? I have no idea what to expect. But a new announcement, a major announcement, major in all capital letters, is coming today from uh, 45. And I'm curious as to what you think it might be. I don't have a time on this. Maybe I missed it, but I'm looking for a time on this. I would love it if it happened during the show. Um, I get the feeling it's going to happen later in the day, maybe even prime time. If he holds it till tonight, I don't know, but I do know that it's going to be. Uh, it's going to have the entire nation watching. He is a showman uh, par excellence. He is just one of the very best in terms of uh, capturing the spotlight, capturing attention, and uh, making sure everybody is watching him. It's why he was so successful in so many different ventures. It's why he was president. Let's be real. I mean, He is such a personal uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Not personality. I don't want to say cult of personality because then we get into the word cult and people get into that nonsense. Uh, but, but he just has a charisma, a charm. There was something about his, um, his persona. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for, his persona, that is larger than life. And it's one of the reasons he won the presidency, it's another. Re- it's one of the reasons why he won the presidency twice, even though they took it from him and said you're not allowed to have it the second time because they cheat like nobody has ever cheated before. We know that. But uh, Donald Trump knows how to make people watch. Every eyeball in America that is concerned at all about what's going on in this country and that is interested in what happens in 2024 is going to be staring today whenever the quote-unquote major announcement comes. Now, some will stare in order to mock him. And, and laugh at him and tell him they're already laughing at the cartoon. I'm laughing at the cartoon, but not in a mocking way. it's just funny. it's in a humor way. it's funny he's he's got uh, his graphics team putting that uh that superhero cartoon together uh, for his announcement. I think it's cute. I think it's hilarious. Uh, some are going to mock it and call it you know narcissistic. He's a narcissist too. President Trump is a narcissist. Most great leaders are that's just reality. Most great leaders are. Barack Obama was a narcissist. Um, they truly believe themselves to be better than others. They truly are in love with themselves, with their ideas, their, uh, their, their personas, their abilities, their talent, their appearance, all of it. Narcissists tend to generally, because of a self-confidence that just almost defies the imagination for non-narcissists, uh, tend to achieve great things. And reach very, very high and are successful, uh, in their reach. And so, uh, I, whatever it is you want to call it with Donald Trump, his self-confidence has never wavered. And his major announcement today is now the subject of speculation for everybody. On the left, they're speculating so they can mock it. On the right, they're, and particularly if you are MAGA, uh, you are, uh, uh, waiting for this and speculating on, speculating about this because you simply cannot wait to take the next step forward to 2024 and bring Donald Trump back to the White House. And, of course, I'll make my position on this clear, which I have done time and time again, unlike KJPDH. Kareem Jean-Pierre, diversity hire, likes to say, I've been perfectly clear. The president has been perfectly clear. He has never been anything close to clear. He's mud. Talking about Biden. But I have been very, very clear. If Donald Trump wins the Republican nomination for president, uh, I will go balls to the wall to help that man become president. I will absolutely do everything I can to stop uh, the Democrats from winning the White House, and I will support President Trump as I did in 2016, as I did in 2020. However, as of this moment, in December of 2022, many, many, many months before declarations are going to be made by other potential potential, uh, primary candidates, um, I am not in that camp. I am in the camp of somebody who has not yet declared. And I think it's a better, better choice. And if that works out that way, let's go. Let's go game on. And if it doesn't work out that way and Trump wins a nomination, let's go. It's game on. We're going to stop the Democrats. We're going to put him in as President 47 in addition to being President 45. So if you've got a thought on what you think President Trump's announcement is going to be today, let's hear it. 216 901 We're guest-free in the first hour, by the way, so you really can make those calls now, and we'll have some time for you. Our first guest isn't until 1010 this morning when we talk to Dr. Everett Piper, as we do each and every Thursday. He's got some important issues for us on the culture war. Uh, at 1035, our friend Rob Walgate, who is a uh, regular guest host on this program, will join us from the Ohio Roundtable. He, of course, works with the Ohio Roundtable. Public Square Broadcast Network, uh, uh uh AP Roundtable. He's gonna join us to talk about what happened last night slash this morning in the Columbus State House. Some very, very, very good news. The story we have been fixated on really all week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we spent a great deal of time. Myself, guests on the program uh uh have talked about this. Uh Dave Zanotti called the program, you know, also from the uh the Ohio Roundtable. We had on uh, Senator Um uh, Andrew Brenner uh, about this, about uh, Senate Bill 178, an overhaul of the Education Department in the state of Ohio, stripping the education powers from the Ohio Board of Education and its superintendent when it comes to things like curricula and in-school policies, leaving the board only to deal with things like teacher licensure and discipline and things of that nature. Uh, this would create a cabinet-level position to be appointed, unelected, appointed by the governor, uh, in the charge of what would be called DEW, the Department of Education and Workforce, adding workforce as opposed to just education, hinting, of course, that we have to be concerned, and I think fairly, um, we have to be concerned about young students who are not going to college. They're not college-bound. They're going to go into the workforce, and what, what do we have to do to make sure to prepare them? I, there are some decent ideas there, but the idea that this be should be a, an appointed position with that appointment in the hands of somebody that we simply flat out cannot trust, in my view, and that's the current Governor Mike DeWine, um, I think that's a that's a disaster. That's a disaster. Now, for the last three, four days, I, I've told you, um, three days, I guess, that I have been very much on the fence on this thing because I am so disgusted with the lack of progress made by the Board of Education in trying to stop changes to Title IX, to try to secure... Uh, You know, girls' sports teams from boys' uh, invasions to try to secure girls' locker rooms and showers from biological boys' invasions uh, into those things, protecting our girls and uh, trying to regain some sense of normalcy in our classrooms, trying to regain some sense of actual history, not fictional, uh, uh, or, if you will, neo-history being written about when this country was founded, about how it was founded, about what it is based upon, and so forth. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about CRT and the ongoing movement to help kids or to confuse kids and then say, let me help you. See, they got a real racket going there. We're going to confuse the hell out of kids as to what they are and what they think they might be, and what they could be, and what we'd like to give them a little nudge, nudge, nudge into becoming and then saying, oh my gosh, you're so confused, let me help you. Let us give you gender-affirming care. Let's get you on this little pill over here. This is going to block your your development a little bit here, just so you can have a little bit more time to think about what you really want to develop into. It is grotesque, it is barbaric, uh, it is abusive, is what it is. And our school board... Isn't doing enough to combat it, the Ohio Board of Education. So when I heard that, and I watched these things take place, and then I hear maybe we can take the powers away from the school board, I got to admit, my head was turned. My head was turned toward this idea of 178. But then my head turned back when I realized again that Mike DeWine was going to make an appointment, and Mike DeWine makes horrible, awful, terrible, no good appointments. He is a walking progressive disaster somehow masquerading in, a, in an R on his chest. I don't know where he got it. I don't know how he stole it. But he is absolutely in no-way, shape, or form a Republican. He is a no-way, shape, or form a conservative. And he is a disaster when it comes to making appointments, including appointments to that Board of Education that I just ripped. So the idea that he would appoint the director of this new department that would establish all of the school policies I just laid out is terrifying. So we've been watching for the last two days as they have debated in Columbus in the state house, particularly on the house side to see whether 78 178 would get out of committee and then get to a house floor for a full vote. It did both of those things. And according to all reports that I'm getting this morning, it failed. No. Appointment for Mike DeWine in charge of Ohio school curricula. No appointment that Mike DeWine gets to make to literally establish all policy for all Ohio schools, all Ohio administrators, all Ohio boards, and yes, all Ohio students. No, it is not going to happen. At least not in the form that it's in right now. 178, they tried to sweeten it. With three other measures that have been hanging there for a couple of years that conservatives have wanted passed, by the way, a couple of them I really like. I really do. That's why they tried to do this, of course. They ought to be able to pass and stand on their own. And I'm talking about a bill that would um, uh, forbid colleges and universities from discriminating against students who want to come to campus but haven't taken the poison dart. The poison darts are a requirement to get on almost all campuses in the state of Ohio, maybe around the country. A bill is languishing that ought to be passed that says you can't do that. You can't tell kids you can't come to campus until you take that jab, which is very, very questionable, A, in its efficacy, B, in its safety. You can't do it. And then another bill that pretty much said the same thing about high school kids and primary kids that, that no shots, not just for the poison darts in the COVID realm, but going forward during, quote-unquote, health emergencies, should be or uh, may be mandated or required for kids to be able to come to school. So there's a couple of really important bills there that they tried to throw into 170 to say, well, people, this will get more conservatives to vote for. Not so much. And I'm glad to see that the conservatives on the, uh, uh, in the uh, Ohio House said no to, the, to those things. Let's have those things come up for an individual vote on their own merits, which they should, and they should pass. But we're not going to lump them in with 178 and allow this to make 178 a reality. So there's some really big news there. There's some very good news there. We're going to talk to Rob Ballgate of the Ohio Roundtable about it at 1035, but we won't wait. We will talk about it with you. 216-901-0945 and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Those are just some of the lead stories this morning. We've got a lot of other ground to cover. But first, Patriots. Let's, uh, before we take our first break, stand, wherever you may be, unless, of course, you're in a car. That's hard to do. But if you are in the car, just join the rest of us in putting your hand on your heart and facing the flag if you have one nearby. And if you don't, just imagine one. If you are a believer in Bidenomics, in the Biden attempt to distract and deflect away from the trauma of this country by shining a spotlight on confusing and Literally mutilating young children and calling it part of LGBTQ support. Well, you don't really have an earthly idea what this country represents anyway. You don't have to pledge your allegiance to that flag. Instead, if you want, you are welcome to take a knee next to your favorite ex quarterback. See yeah, how well that worked out for him. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic
0: for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice
3: for all. America needs a superhero.
2: (laughs) What does Super Trump have in store for today's major announcement? Make your predictions at 216-901-0945 right here. So they're all proud uh, in the house now. The portrait of Nancy Pelosi is being uh, has been unveiled and is hanging in the spe- speaker's lobby along with the portraits of all the other speakers, which is tradition, and that's fine. But it's interesting. She's standing there. First of all, she looks sober, so this is kind of more fictional than it is representative of her. Second of all, she's holding a gavel, and I'm just wondering... Again, in the interest of accuracy, how she got that back from Paul. Uh, Chuck in Cleveland, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Chuck, go ahead, sir.
4: Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I wanted to say about the President Trump's announcement. Yeah, what do you I think? Hope that he, I hope that he's taken Ron DeSantis as his
2: vice president. Never in a million years. Don't even think such things. Never happened. Never happened. Well, Never happen.
4: if he did, if he did, Ron DeSantis would get four years learning of foreign policy.
2: And then after never that, he'd get he eight years of presidency. Chuck, never happened, Chuck. Never happened. Never, ever in a million years would that happen for either guy. Donald Trump would never take him because he doesn't want to be ups- up, uh, upstaged by somebody whose popularity is immense. He has to be top dog. And Ron DeSantis would never do it because he doesn't want to be a ta- – uh, 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 attached to the Trump baggage when he does run for president, whenever that may be, whether it's this time or next time around. He does not want to be associated and end up being Mike pence by some of the things that Trump gets himself into. So uh, it'll never happen, my friend. Find another guy or girl, uh, and maybe it isn't. Thank you, Chuck, for the call, by the way. Maybe that is the announcement today. It is a VP. It will not be Ron DeSantis, not in a billion, zillion years. Uh, not to mention, and I'll throw this out there, I can't remember who called me about this and pointed this out that there is a provision in the Constitution that says the president and the vice president may not come from the same state. And I don't remember the language exactly, but they showed, told me the, the, you know, the, uh, the provision and I looked it up and it's true. There is, um, There is language that says the president and the vice president must come from separate states. And now Donald Trump is officially a resident of Florida. His home is Mar-a-Lago. Ron DeSantis is officially a resident of Florida. Donald Trump would have to renounce his residency, if you will, or change his residency from Florida and go back to New York if that were to ever happen anyway. Like I said, not that that's a concern because it will never happen for the other reasons. Trump must be top dog and Ron DeSantis is a popular dog. Uh, And Ron DeSantis would not want to attach himself to this situation. Not a chance. Um, But there is also the constitutional perspective there. More of your phone calls, predictions. What do you think it's going to be today? Super Trump said the announcement is coming. Let's talk about it on Always Right Radio.
0: the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer.
2: All right, 937. We've got uh, Dr. Everett Piper coming up at 1010. We've got Rob Walgate of the Ohio Roundtable coming up at 1035. And i got open phone lines right now at 216-901-0945 or 888 281 We're guessing on a couple of things. First of all, we're reacting to uh, the news that we got this morning on uh, uh, Senate Bill 178 down in Columbus. But then we're also guessing, what is the big announcement? President Donald Trump, number 45, says there's a big announcement coming today. Uh, He's got an animated uh, superhero thing going. America needs a superhero. Is truth (laughs) Promoting whatever the uh, major announcement is going to be, but it is coming today. So if you've got a prediction on what it is, I'd love to hear them. I mean, I may tell you I think it's right or wrong, but don't that, don't let that uh, dissuade you from making your prediction. That's what it's all about. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. As I look at the full, full phone lines, one name jumps out at me on these phone lines because it's a name that we talk to on a weekly basis. I talk to on a, th- a thrice weekly basis. We talk to him on the radio on Wednesdays. Yesterday, for example. And we do uh, two days a week. We do a podcast together. It's called Talk and Smack with Bob and Jack. That's Jack Windsor, the founder and editor of the uh, Ohio Press Network. Hey, Jack, what's going on, buddy?
5: Hey, Bob. Good morning. Good to so be we here. Got with some, you we got some news do we, on,
2: uh, on 178. Yeah. You and I spent so much time on. What do you got for us?
5: Yeah, so, uh, you know, it was the wee hours of the morning. You, know, you and I talked yesterday that uh the House was in session, but they they took a break. They had about a two-hour dinner, uh, and then, you know, they started up late. I think it was past 1130 when they went back in session, and then I think they broke again and then went back in session. Uh I believe they pulled an all-nighter, but Ohio sub-Senate Bill 178. Now, you remember, that's the bill that would um, consolidate power into the Department of Education and Workforce and create a cabinet-level position for that director. Um, That bill was combined with House Bill 151, which had some elements of the Save Women's Sports Act. It would have prohibited – biological males from competing against biological females. My understanding is the Save Women Sports Act was also in the bill. The two watered-down medical freedom bills that we talked about that were written by uh, Representative Scott Lifts and then, of course, the bill to protect homeschooling, that was all crammed into uh, one bill. And I, and I think it was actually called uh, House Bill 151 that Senate Bill 178 was put into. So, you know, wee hours of the morning, lame duck session, uh, the GOP leaders in the General Assembly cajoled, bargained, and badgered. I had one uh, state representative call me and say, man, they are putting on the full court press. Uh, they were going after Jenna Powell. They were going after Rep. Ron Ferguson. They were going after Rep. Chris Jordan. Uh, those three, by the way, are, are pretty staunch conservatives trying to get them to flip sides. Uh, but when the dust settled, uh, Senate Bill 178 didn't pass, and it missed the mark by five votes. So um, there were quite a few people who jumped over. We thought it was going to be somewhere between 10 and 17 votes short. But, man, they jockeyed that thing. They lobbied that thing and they got it down to five uh, five vote margin.
2: Well, wow, that's that's big time news, Jack, and we appreciate you breaking that here and giving us the specifics on this. Uh, that you know, it is it, you and I both agreed. I mean, this is a tough bill. There's, aside from the um, merging with the other legislation that you talked about, which are commonly called sweeteners, to try to get some who are on the other side, and that's probably what it was like when it was a standalone bill that where mm-hmm. it was going to fall short by seventeen votes or more, as you just pointed out. Then they threw the other ones in there that a lot of conservative minded mm-hmm. members of the House. Probably said, okay, I like those. If we do that, I yep. could probably get there. And it moved them over. Yep. Um, but, but, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's a big deal, obviously, uh, what, you know, what they tried to do here. But, Jack, you and I both were a little bit kind of on the fence here. You know, I think you called yourself bipolar on it, and I called myself on the fence about it because I'm so disgusted with the makeup of the Ohio Board of Education and some of the decisions that they were making. Um, I think there are a lot of people who are conservative minded who actually were given 178 a real fair shot here for, for pretty good reasons.
5: Yeah. And, you know, uh, Bob, I took the sugar coating off everything last night and yeah. uh, I posted some things about this. And, and real quick, the reason why I did that is, um, I, you know, I talk to other people around the state who say Mike DeWine's a good guy. He's this, that or the other. Mike DeWine locked my kid out of school for a year and a half. Bottom line. Uh, And he did it against the data. He did it against science and he did it against, you know, reasonable advice. So one of the challenges with this bill is curricula. Right. Should should that be our biggest concern that we're going to have this woke curricula that finds its way into our schools? But here's the other point uh, that I want to make. Um, This was kind of the line in the sand for me. Mike DeWine has already allocated about $25 million for public school clinics. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Imagine that we have public school clinics. Imagine that uh, the tide right now is a kid can start socially transitioning without even asking mom and dad. Now imagine that we have a director of education and workforce and that person can revoke or issue a school charter, uh, maybe tinker with funding, uh, so on and so forth, right? So you have uh, almost control. Unilaterally, ultimate almost, authority. right? Unilaterally. Unilaterally, that's right. So, so tell me this, riddle me this, Batman. If a year and a half, two years down the road, if 178 passes and there are clinics in our schools, and if uh, Billy Bob or Joe Bob decides that he or she wants to transition, um, tell me that that school clinic isn't going to issue puberty blockers if the kid's over 12 years old. Tell me that that clinic isn't going to overstep their bounds. And looking at the stories we've uncovered in schools around the state of Ohio where they're already socially transitioning kids without parental authority, mm-hmm. I don't want to take that chance. For me, that was the line in the sand. And when you look at who supported this bill? There's an organization out there called Ohio Excels, and uh, it's a group that engages businesses. They create policy, they coordinate systems, and they say that they're about improving outcomes. But when you look at who funds them, it's the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So uh, that to we, me, we have we have but, mentioned
2: that before. And Jack, just just briefly here, um, what what made this so difficult? And why, I'm sure, it took them into the wee hours of the morning, you know, overnight, uh, you know, pulling an all-nighter to get to the bottom of all of this, is the fact that the OEA and the OFT and the OSBA, you know, the teachers' unions and the leftist school boards association... Um, hated this bill. They wanted this thing killed. Yep. One would think, because of everything you just described, they would be for it. But instead, they opposed mm-hmm. it. They liked the board system the way that it is. And so when you have those leftist organizations who are hell-bent on the CRT, SEL, CSC, and everything else that's going on in the classrooms, the transitioning without parental knowledge, all of that stuff, when you have them opposed to the bill, it kind of makes a conservative-minded person like myself say, I really need need to think this thing about supporting this bill, uh, because you know if they hate it that much, I've got to be for it. Now, again, I didn't get there. Eventually, I came down off of the fence yesterday, same about same time you did, and we talked about it when we recorded our podcast. And I said I am opposed to 178 in in light of the Shea resolution going through too. You know the fact mm-hmm. that we finally got something positive from the board as it's constructed right now. But but you know there is there is the old adage you know about the the enemy of my enemy is my friend and if the uh, if the leftist teachers unions hate this so much you had to wonder whether or not there were some people last night who were thinking I support it for that reason alone. Yeah, and
5: and the other part of me and maybe this is the conspiracist in me thinks how much of it is political theater, how much of it is mm-hmm. um, you know feigned opposition. It, it, it's interesting to me, but at the end of the day, I don't trust Mike Dewine with my house plans let alone being, um, you know, somebody that's almost unilaterally dictating what goes on in, in, in a school that my daughter attends. So, yeah. um, and I think a lot of other people felt that way.
2: Well, Jack, I, I concur. And I think a lot of people, you know, kind of know who Mike DeWine is now. I've been saying this really since March of 2020 when we saw him, you know, start taking the steps that he did in response to COVID. Uh, and I have not let, let up, off of him since then. And now he is only proving, and you know what's really terrible, uh, uh, Jack? Jack Windsor called in, by the way, with the Ohio Press Network. He's also my buddy and my partner uh, on our, our uh, podcast, which you should check out and share uh, wherever you get your podcasts. It's called Talk and Smack with Bob and Jack. Um, the other element of – oh, darn did I lose my train of thought when I promoted the what, uh, podcast.
5: <laughs> You're talking about the other element of, of, of 178, Mike DeWine, kind of us knowing who he is. Oh, oh the
2: appointment. While I'm happy that he won't get to appoint a director for this Department of Education and Workforce, we now need to focus our attention on the uh, Ohio Supreme Court justice that he gets to appoint. Mm -hmm. Because the things went the right way, Sharon Kennedy elevated to the chief justice position, it creates an opening for an appointment, not an election, an appointment uh, for that other uh, associate justice. And the balance of this court is obviously very, very important, Jack, um, we saw what happens with a leftist, even though she was a Republican in charge of the court, as it pertained to drawing the district lines and uh, rejecting those uh, countless numbers of times. Um, so this is important, and given our history of Mike Dewine's appointments, of for example, Amy Acton, you've talked about this many, many times. You know the Cleveland State School Board, uh, a few other individuals. I'm really curious now. The attention will be what kind of a, an associate justice is Mike Dewine going to pick for the uh, for the court?
5: Yeah, that's a big decision. Um, If he does pick somebody that is somewhat conservative, it would be a 4-3 to lean. That's important considering some of the things coming down the pike with marijuana, abortion, redistricting, those types of things. But um, right now, Joe Dieter seems to be the guy, uh, the prosecutor in Hamilton County. But we'll see.
2: Jack Windsor, uh, Ohio Press Network, breaking some news, giving us some good analysis this morning of the way things went down overnight with the – uh, uh, 178. Jack, of course, in addition to running the Ohio Press Network, he is a state house correspondent for us on AM 1420 The Answer. So, Jack, great work. Thanks for bringing it to us. We appreciate it and keep us abreast of any new changes, okay? Hey,
5: you bet. Thanks, Bob.
2: Thank you, Jack. All right, that's Jack Windsor. Uh, again, check out our podcast, Talkin' Smack. Don't look for our names. You won't find it if you search us on your podcast uh, platform. If you look for us wherever it is, got to look for Talkin' Smack with Bob and Jack, and you'll find us. Okay, um, let's continue on the phones. Cheryl in Lakewood. Cheryl, thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. No problem.
6: Good morning. Um, I think the announcement will be a running mate, and mm-hmm. I think that person will be the actor Dean Kane. And these are the reasons Ooh. for my prediction. Uh, the Superman reference aside,
7: yeah.
6: Dean Kane is a well-known Republican. Mm-hmm. Well, I think he's an independent now, but uh, he has spoken out supporting and endorsing President Trump in both 2016 and 2020. He's very well-educated. He's a Princeton graduate. And here's the big kicker. A lot of people don't know it, but he's actually a person of color. His uh, biological father was Japanese. His name is Tanaka, not Kane. And so we know how much the left loves anything having to do with people of color. So uh, let's see how much they'll embrace the someone who is half Japanese, as they did Barack Obama, who was half black. Um, but those are the reasons for out there,
2: but that's what I think it's going to be. Cheryl, I like the way you think. It's a really neat, out-of-the-box uh, idea, because I literally don't have any idea what this is going to be. I wouldn't have thought of that on my own, so I'm glad you did. It gives us something else to think about. Good stuff. Thank you, Cheryl. Okay. All right. Uh, Cheryl says maybe Dean Kane. I'm looking at Dean Kane's Twitter profile right now. Father, filmmaker, freedom, family. Tweet only what I'd say to your face. Retreat, retweets do not equal endorsements. And then he closes his bio with truth, justice, and the American way. The Superman tagline. Of course, he played Superman and uh, Clark Kent uh, on uh, Lois and Clark for years and years and years. He still has the Superman tagline on his bio. And Donald Trump has just released his, uh, his animated video and his declaration that...
3: America needs a superhero.
2: Crazy. It's not a crazy idea. It's not a crazy idea. It would shake things up, that's for sure, instead of a typical stodgy politician, Donald Trump going to the uh, world of entertainment and conservative politics to find a running mate. That's interesting. Navy Man Norm in Strongsville. Navy Man Norm. Good good morning, morning, sir. Go uh, ahead.
4: Good morning. Uh, Regarding that portrait of the drag queen Pelosi, uh, I can't believe I saw Republicans falling all over themselves to pay homage to that person. And I'm trying to be Christian because the word skank wanted to escape my (laughs) lips.
2: Well, it's a good I, I thing your Christianity stopped you from saying that out loud. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Sorry. You know, I saw Boehner, and the first thing, he's crying. I, You know, the, this guy, just go away. You know, you were a phony Speaker of the House for the Republicans, and you kissed their butts the whole time they were there. And, you know, Bob, when I see this, and I understand it's tradition, but coming after two days— two days after that 79-year-old flatulent fool masquerading as president had drag queens come to the White House and defile defile the people's house. This goes beyond the pale. And the thing that bothers me the most is I don't hear peeps from the Republicans, not a peep, I don't hear them saying, what in God's name is the matter with you people? Are you that depraved that you have to invite these people uh drag queen whatever to our white house and and they're so arrogant and they just shove it in our face bob i am so sick of it just sick and tired of well, it you and know I what
2: think- you know what though norm I, I i want you to give them at least a little bit of a break here uh remember they just fired sam brinton right so uh, you know the uh, uh, energy uh, department assistant they just fired oh, yes. Sam Brinton. yes <laughs> so so you know bringing drag queens to the white house was was probably just part of the interview process that's all they got to replace them
4: that's you know what that's true that's true <laughs> i never thought of that but how in that how did that uh, character
2: get vetted in the first place what <laughs> kind wasn't. of security here's the vetting norm here's the vetting gay check trans check non-binary check hired Check. That's it. It, I mean, literally, how do you think they hired Kareem Jean Pierre? Qualification? X. Gay? Check. Black? Check. Female? Check. Hired? Check. I, I mean, literally, this is, this is all, that's the only vetting they do. Biden did it with the Supreme Court justice. He did it with his vice president. He did it with his press secretary. He did it with this nuclear energy, uh, disposal, uh, quote unquote expert. He said he did it with, uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the male admiral that, uh, dresses in, uh, drag. Uh, what's her name? what's his name? Uh, uh the, Richard Levine. But he said Rachel, he Rachel wanted this teacher. to be the most diverse cabinet and diverse administration in history, and that mattered him to him much, much, much more than competence, than qualifications, than merit. It's all about who well, you are, what you look like, and what you identify as. That's the vetting I, I process will, for this embarrassing administration.
4: I will grant him one thing. It's the most diverse perversity cabinet we've ever seen, but that's where it stops. You know, it's funny, and I'll make this fast. I enlisted in the Navy at 17, and I had the FBI talking and interviewing my neighbors about my background at age 17, right out of St. Ignatius High School. So, I mean, they wanted to know what kind of person I was because I was going into a specific field of fire control, which is involving weapons, radar systems, and the like. And the FBI is vetting a 17-year-old Clevelander at the time but they can bet these. Nope. Nope, <laughs> nope
2: they can't do that. Uh, great story, Norm, and great comparison. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, there's Norm, who uh, didn't let his Christianity uh, get in the way of the skank drop on, <laughs> on Nancy Pelosi. I know it's hard sometimes, my friend. I know it's hard. Uh, time out. We'll come back. Uh, we got news coming, too. we got Dr. Everett Piper on the other side. Stay here. Always right. Radio AM 1420,
3: dance Jesus a neck swing.
1: You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness.
0: Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on Aon 1420, The Answer
2: number two underway now at 8 minutes past 10 o'clock. Good Thursday to you, the 15th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, Thanks again to um, our friend Jack Windsor for calling in last half hour to give us a real update on how things went down yesterday when uh, Senate Bill 178 went down to defeat, despite the best efforts of a lot of conservatives and a lot of Republicans, who I think were missing the boat there. I think this is something that has divided conservatives across All of Northeast Ohio, certainly I know this because I've talked to them on both sides, but... um I think ultimately the defeat of 178 was the right thing to happen. Uh, we'll talk more about that in about a half an hour with Rob Walgate of the Ohio Roundtable. But now I want to go back to the culture wars, and I want to bring in our good friend, Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper is a former university president. He's a best-selling author. He's a weekly columnist for The Washington Times. He's also the podcast, podcast radio host of The Rebellion, and he is now a newly minted, or will be when uh, January gets here, uh, county commissioner in his native Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, good morning. Good to have you back. Good morning, Bob. I hope you're doing well. I am, uh, but I didn't like that. Uh, let's see if we can fix up his audio a little bit there, uh, because I wasn't able to hear that very clearly. Dr. Piper, can you say something else for us? Yeah, I
7: said, uh, I hope you're doing well. Can
2: you hear me better now? No, uh, it's lousy. Uh, okay, we're going to we're gonna fix that, and uh, we'll come back uh, with Dr. Everett Piper. Now, While we reestablish that connection, uh, I want to play a little clip for you of what Dr. Piper and I are about to talk about anyway. Dr. Piper wrote his column for the Washington Times this week about the decision to ban by public libraries Kirk Cameron from doing a book reading um, at uh, over 50 public libraries that have hosted drag queen story hours allowing grown men wearing female clothing, often and usually sexually provocative provocative, um, women's clothing, reading to little children. Well, here comes Kirk Cameron, an adult male dressed as an adult male who wanted to do a little reading of his new book to children uh, during story hour. Um, he was denied the opportunity to do the, that, that work, to do that reading to the kids, perhaps because of his book. It's the content of his book that has these libraries turning Kirk Cameron down. Just exactly what, is, what are we talking about here? What kind of books are we talking about here, Kirk Cameron?
3: It's a book that teaches biblical wisdom through the seasons of life to children and the value of growing the fruit of the Spirit like love,
2: joy, kindness, patience, gentleness, self-control. How dare you? You want to bring that to the kids in a library? Especially you, a grown adult man, dressed as a grown adult man. What's wrong with you? And I wanted to do a book reading at a public library, and I was
3: denied by over 50 woke libraries that have hosted drag queen story hours. Uh, one of the most outrageous denials was uh, Alameda County Public Library that said they didn't want that book teaching kids biblical values um, while at the same time they're hosting a gender name change clinic tomorrow. And I'm thinking, wow, if uh, we're so committed to diversity, why am I being excluded? Why-
2: what an interesting question that is. That is one that was explored by Dr. Everett Piper in his uh, recent column in the Washington Times. Let's see if we have that connection working now. Dr. Piper, are we good? Yeah, can you hear me now? Okay. Uh, it's it's dicey. It's dicey, to be 100% honest with you, but let's give it a shot here. So I just played Kirk Cameron, and I know that's what you wrote about. Uh, what's your reaction, or what do you want us to know about um, about Kirk Cameron's denial by the libraries, the woke libraries that do host Drag Queen Story Hour for children, but don't want to host a, a guy who looks like a guy reading about things like faith and family and, and the Bible? Well,
7: uh, I hope you can hear me okay, but basically what we have is another example of how the postmodern culture, how the woke and the righteous are duplicitous. Refuting at every turn, their their, uh, march for tolerance was never honest. Uh, Under the placard of diversity and of personal views, public libraries are now telling Kirk Cameron that if he diverges from their personal views, that he's unwelcome and he is intolerable because they can't tolerate his intolerance. This this constant circling, uh, dog chasing its tail is exactly what they're doing. They're sawing off the branch upon which they sit. They're not logical. They make no sense. They actually say we're sure that nothing is sure. We know that nothing can be known. And now, when Kurt Cameron, simply because he's a conservative Christian, wants to talk about patience and self control, arguably two of the virtues that any civilized people need the most of patience and self control, love, joy, peace uh, these things are unacceptable simply because they're intolerable simply because a conservative Christian is the man that wants to talk about these things and read these things. We've seen it for decades. We've known that their quest for inclusion was a lie. It was deceptive. It wasn't honest. They're excluding everyone that they want to silence. This is canceled culture to the extreme.
2: Yeah, it, it is extreme, uh, Dr. Piper, and it's, it's just so remarkable. Again, it's not just drag queen story hour, which – I want to ask you a question about in a moment, um, you know, and the fact that they get to have access to these kids and read to them while Kirk doesn't with his family friendly pro religion pro bible uh story um it's It's the fact that what he said there at the end of that or that comment that I played in his interview with Tucker Carlson they were doing a gender transition what was it what was it a how to Did they say a workshop on how to do a gender transition or a gender name transition, I think it was? So we're not even talking about just, hey, we're just people who love kids and we happen to like wearing women's clothes and all we'd want to do is read to these kids. It is so much more to that. Dr. Piper, is this not evidence of what you and I and and millions of other conservatives um, have been yelled at about for calling grooming?
7: Um, And, you know, there's another part of the story, I don't know if you've covered it yet. Kirk Cameron, since the initial interviews about this particular story, has come out and said that he has sent a letter back to these libraries, he's asked them to reconsider, and he's made it clear that if they don't, he's going to exercise his First Amendment rights. So, So he's very patiently, and he's being kind, but he's saying, I'm going to sue you. And I believe he should. We need to take off the gloves and go on the offensive right now. We need to call this what it is. This is child grooming. We need to find some people of courage that are willing to sue the sponsors of these things for child endangerment, for grooming children sexually, for putting children in a position where adult males are, quote-unquote, teasing them. Now, why do I use that word? Because it's it's a mimic strip tease. That's what these drag queen performances are. Why in the world aren't good moms and dads, Christian or not, suing the companies, the Chamber of Commerce, the local, local city council, the local mayor, and even calling upon the police to enforce the doggone laws that exist in our communities to protect children? This is child in endangerment, and I believe Kirk Cameron is right, and we should follow suit. No pun intended.
2: No, understood. Um I want to ask you just about the drag queen phenomenon, um, particularly with story hours. Drag has been around for a very long time. RuPaul made it uh, you know, almost mainstream with that TV show. Um, and I'm not going to go there. I mean, adults doing what adults want to do. It might not be my cup of tea, but we are a free country. And if adults want to – adult males want to dress as females and dance around and do these strip teases, as you're talking about, for dollar tips – uh, go ahead, just like regular stripteases, uh, strip clubs. They may not be my favorite thing in the world. It may not be uh, what, what one might consider to be Christian or family value-driven, but it is a free country and we can do these things. But two years ago, well, maybe not two, I don't know, five years ago, men dressed as women in sexually provocative female clothing didn't come to libraries and didn't say, I want to be around kids dressed like this. To my knowledge, it wasn't happening five years ago. It certainly wasn't happening ten years ago. What started this? Did libraries or LGBTQ groups go to libraries and say, we need to do something here, we need to get adult men dressed as women around as many kids as possible? Or did the drag queens go to the libraries and say, we really feel the need to be around kids when we're like this. We want to teach them how to twerk. We want to teach them how to uh, solicit for tips. And, oh, by the way, we'll do a little reading for them as well. I just want to know how in the world, Dr. Piper, we got here. Drag has been around forever, but this is new.
7: I would argue it goes back to the lie of subjective identity claims. And I've been saying this for decades. When you dumb down the definition of what it means to be a human being to nothing but the sum total of your inclinations, when your identity is nothing more or less than what you're inclined to do, when you define yourself by your desires and you start arguing that you deserve minority status and recognition because of those desires, you've now taken the imago Day, the image of God, and you've dumbed it down to nothing but your libido, And that's a very dangerous place for us to go because it opens up Pandora's box and there's no end to it. We started with homosexuality. Then we moved into LGBTQIA, in other words, bi, queer, trans. Now we're in this trans and drag movement where if you feel like you are a woman and you want to dress accordingly, you are one. And therefore, you can steal a real woman's identity and dignity, bathroom, shower, scholarship, or what have you, and you can claim that's your minority right to do so. It's a lie of subjective identity claims that goes all the way back to the late 1800s when the word homosexual was first used and first coined by, an active, um, by a man who was actively engaged in homosexual behavior that wanted, wanted to move the target from behavior to being, and when we bought that lie, that
2: Freudian lie, that's when this all started. Yeah, it's um, it's just as I said at the end of my question. It's it's frustrating to know exactly what's going on, but to have so many people deny that this is grooming. There is no other reason why. Again, what used to be an adult entertainment, fetish, or you know, lifestyle choice, or whatever for people for for grown men and women who go to drag shows. Um, to say we're bringing it to the kids now is not for more money. It's not for, uh, you know, uh, uh, more kicks. It is because we've got to get the kids. We want the kids to learn how to do this. We want the kids to pick this up and join it. We need to make it more mainstream. Uh, that's grooming. That's flat-out grooming that is changing children by way of, of indoctrination uh, into and normalization of a bizarre deviant lifestyle. And that's exactly what this is. And I want it to be known. I want it to be shouted from the rooftops. This is what grooming looks like. Dr. Piper, we'll take a time out here. We're going to come back on the other side, and we're going to talk about an atrocity. I talked last week with Dr. Ben Carson about this story, and I know you've got thoughts on it now as well. The cancellation of one of the foremost neurosurgeons in the history of medicine, all because they don't like his politics, or at least the politics of the man he worked for. Uh, Dr. Piper weighs in on Dr. Carson next, AM 1420. 10.24 now. I've got six good minutes left with Dr. Edward Piper. going to talk a little bit about Dr. Benjamin Carson now. Of course, we know he ran for president in 2016. Uh, he did not win the nomination. He ended up on Donald Trump's in Donald Trump's cabinet as the uh, Secretary of uh, Housing and Urban Development. And apparently working for Donald Trump has had negative imp- a negative impact on uh, Dr. Carson's reputation because he is now being canceled by a school in Detroit. Dr. Piper, I'll let you take it from there.
7: Well, frankly, can you find a more decent man, a more honest <laughs> being, a man of integrity, I mean, if you look that up in the dictionary or you Google it, you've probably going to find Dr. Ben Carson's picture. He is literally the poster child of the American dream. And as you know, I tweeted this story out, and I basically said, when any culture starts canceling its best and elevating its worst, When you, when you cancel Kirk Cameron because you don't like the fact that he's a conservative Christian who wants to read about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And when you take Ben Carson's name off of a school because he actually exemplifies and lives out those fruits of the spirit and has consistently throughout his entire career. I mean, the man was raised by a single mom. She sacrificed tons to get him a decent education at Yale and then and then University of Michigan Medical School, and then Johns Hopkins. When you actually have a man that's a neurosurgeon, internationally known, who's got his name taken off of a building in Detroit simply because he's a conservative, you know this is no longer an agenda about minority recognition or inclusion. This is ideological fascism, pure and simple. If you don't agree with us, we're going to crush you. We will demand compliance, ideological compliance. We will crush you with the fascist of the left if you don't agree. We'll take your name off of a building. We will silence you in the libraries, And we will actually start talking about taking your children away from you because you are a hateful human being and not a good parent. I mean, that's where they're going with all of this argument. Joe Biden's signing of the... Um, disrespect for marriage act is in line with all of this stuff because it is demanding compliance ideological compliance doesn't matter what color your skin is or whether you're a female we don't care about your minority status you're done you're over you're canceled if you don't march lockstep with our woke ideology
2: yeah it is uh it is such a shame because you're right a decent man one of the, one of the most kind hearted and again one of the most brilliant men who literally as recently as you know i guess we'll say 6 years ago now was regarded as the ultimate role model for African Americans. Young African American males, you're looking for a role model. You look no further than Dr. Ben Carson because of the way he grew up, as you just pointed out, what he what he did to get where he is and then to achieve what he has as, again, a, a neurosurgeon, uh, the first to separate uh, conjoined twins who were joined at the brain and the back of the head for crying out loud, then to rise to the level of a cabinet position in a presidential administration doing great work, by the way, for people in urban, urban uh, households, urban developments, and so on and so forth, everything that he was supposed to do, one would look and say, that's a great African-American uh, success story. And instead of saying, let's aspire to be him, they're canceling him and saying, that guy is somebody you don't want to be like. I, I, I find that just staggering. And we wonder why the disparities continue among the races and other demographics in the United States of America, when that's the way they treat uh, uh, people like Dr. Carson.
7: And and the racism is right here. I mean, they call Clarence Thomas an Uncle Tom. And now, I mean, Clarence Thomas, the same story, really the exact same story, rises up out of poverty and and becomes a Supreme Court Justice of the United States of America. Dr. Carson rises up out of poverty in Detroit and becomes a world-renowned brain surgeon. And these idiots on the left that don't have half the education or intelligence of either of these men prove their racism by not allowing a black man to step out of the accepted box. It's like Clarence Thomas said during his confirmation hearings. This is a high-tech lynching. That's exactly what they're doing because they won't accept any dissent or contrary worldview.
2: Last thing for you, Dr. Piper, in the minute and a half that we've got left, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. You tweeted about that, too, or I think that was a Facebook post, actually. Tell us, uh, tell us about your, your, your thoughts on the, uh, the greeting that we should be using.
7: Okay, I'll have to go very quick. Merry Christmas, obviously, a religious greeting. Merry Christmas, Christ's Mass. It's not Buddha's Mass. It's not Muhammad's Mass. It's not Harry Krishna's Mass. It's not your Mass, Pelosi's Mass, or Biden's Mass. It's not my Mass. It's Christ's Mass. Well, we can't say that because that's religious, right? So these these, <laughs> these idiots on the left now say, well, use a secular greeting like Happy Holidays. Well, don't they realize that the etymology of the word holiday is holy day? And that's just as religious and just as Christian as Christmas is. So if they want to say happy holidays, fine. We might want to respond and say, sure, have a holy day, a day that's set apart, sanctified (laughs) unto the Lord, a day which acknowledges 24-hour periods of time which only human beings, sentient human beings, understand A day is actually a holy term, too, because animals don't understand days. Human beings do because days are created by God, and we are to uh, recognize that this is the day the Lord has made and let us rejoice and be glad in it. So, fine, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, both are religious terms.
2: Phenomenally well done. And in very, very short time, too, you got us right on the mark. Dr. Everett Piper, terrific job as always. Merry Christmas to you, my friend. Merry Christmas to you. All right, it's ten thirty. We'll take a time out here. Uh, got through some connection difficulties there, but the the uh, payoff I think is worth it. Uh, Doctor Piper is just terrific. We'll take a time out here at the bottom of the hour for news. On the other side, we'll come back to Ohio politicking. We'll come back to a lame duck session of the general assembly in which they're trying to push through some pretty radical things. They tried yesterday. They tried on Tuesday. They tried on Monday, and late last night they got the result. Maybe not what some of those conservative Republicans were looking for, because they were blocked by other conservative Republicans who saw things differently. Rob Walgate is one of those. He is um, uh, a regular fill in host on this program, and he is with the Ohio Roundtable, the American Policy Roundtable, and the uh, pub, uh, Public Square Broadcast Network. And he's going to tell us why the failure of Senate Bill 178 is a good thing. That's next on Always Right Radio.
3: When loved ones are it's the most wonderful time of the year.
0: Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France and the Answer.
2: Ten thirty-eight. Now we continue on Always Right Radio. Thanks again to Doctor Everett Piper for his enlightenment. Let's uh, let's go back now from the culture wars to the political wars, and let's go inside uh, the state house in, uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, last night, the, the uh, House side in the lower chamber, they were busy, and according to Jack Windsor, they pulled an all-nighter. They went all night. They took a break for dinner for a couple hours, a late, late dinner apparently. Then they went back at it uh, at around 11 o'clock last night, and they were at in, uh, in, added into the wee hours of the morning. At the end of the day, they came out with a couple of no votes, uh, a narrow, narrow defeat for House Bill 178 or Senate Bill 178 that already passed the Senate. They were pushing very hard to get passed in the House. That would have reformed the Department of Education stripping the board of education of its powers and essentially giving them to an unelected uh, dictator, if you will. Uh, an appointee as a director of the Department of Education Education and Workforce would be appointed by Mike DeWine. They also voted against uh, a very important bill uh, that is very controversial as well, and that involves whether or not it takes 50 or 60 percent of Ohioans in a uh, referendum to amend the Ohio Constitution. Joining us now is Rob Walgate. He is our good friend. You know him. You hear him. He's a regular fill-in on this program while he works with the Ohio Roundtable and the uh, American Policy Roundtable. Robert, good to, good to have you, my friend. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Bob. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Let's uh, let's dive in now. You and I exchanged a few messages before the show today, which is, of course, when I invited you, invited you to come on.
8: Yeah,
9: thank you for the and invite. I,
2: yeah, by all means. Uh, so now let's talk about what your thoughts are on this. Let's start with 178, because I think you and I are going to have more common ground on that one than the other, at least right now. Um, Jack Windsor said that his sources told him it was going to be, fall short by a good 17, 18, 19 votes. But then they decided to try to merge in some other more popular conservative measures as sweeteners, and apparently it worked, because eventually it was defeated by only five votes. Your thoughts?
10: Yeah, um, I grew up in a household where my dad sat me down. When I was probably 13, 14 years old, and he said, I'm going to tell you something, son. Not too many good things happen after midnight. <laughs> and I think the General Assembly should probably hear that same advice every session, because not... Not many good things happen after midnight, right? I mean, can we can we think of uh, oh, what actually happens after midnight? And they were there till what, 5, 6 this morning. So they did try and sweeten the pot on 178. They were trying to get every vote possible. Um, they merged a few pieces of legislation to, to see if they could drum up enough support to get it to pass. And while there is dysfunctionality and problems as it relates to the State Board of Education and how we do education in the state of Ohio, I'm glad enough people saw and understood that this is not the answer to those problems. This was not the solution. This isn't how to get it done. So Why it was this was, not uh,
2: the answer, Rob? I, I've explained my position. I, I told you and I told everybody that I was really on the fence about it before I came to my decision that I think this is probably bad. What's your reasoning?
10: Well, I, I'm for, I am for the power of the people. I'm for the people having a say and having an elected board. I think we've seen the dysfunctionality of the state school board from when it went to appointed members roughly 30 years ago, actually having eight appointed members along with 11 elected members. So I think um, having that aspect has hurt it. And the thought of putting all of that power in a state department by an appointed governor, I, I guess... I'm just confused and left scratching my head because the people that were screaming for this would be the same people that would be screaming against it if the governor was someone else. And many of them are the ones that were screaming when the governor and his appointees during COVID were trying to play the role of dictator. So I didn't see any positives coming out of it in that regard. Um, that, that, would be, that would be our position on that. You also there, There's also an issue, Bob. There's a line in statute that basically says the State Board of Education can do whatever they want. We need, to elim- we need to dive in and eliminate that line, and we've talked with leadership about that and other elected officials. So there's some things that need fixed on the back end when it comes to the State Board of Education and how we do education in Ohio.
2: You know, on the podcast that I do with Jack uh, last week, and we had – no, I'm sorry, it was Monday. It was Monday. We had Andy Andy Brenner on, Senator Brenner on, and uh, Jack said something to him that I found interesting, and Brenner agreed with. He said he would be very open to that. Why do we need a state board of education? Why don't we just abolish the whole doggone thing and return everything to local control? Let the districts decide what they are doing. Obviously, within the bounds of the law, let the parents decide who the board members are, et cetera, et cetera. Do we even need a state-level board?
10: Well, I think that's something where we could have the conversation. I do think, as it pertains, I think there are 615 independent school districts, and obviously the charter schools, the non-charters, the privates. So, so you as much as it pains, you would need a board, um, a department of ed, to hold some things together, maybe from a standpoint uh, where it comes to everyone coming together on a few things. But Yeah let's have the conversation i'd be happy to have that conversation as it pertains to the statewide board and i think bob though also we just need to define what their role is and what they would be doing because that causes a lot of confusion around the state on what's the board of education's role what are they doing we can talk about the state superintendent search and how much of a disarray that's been um we can talk about the testing aspect of it there's a lot of conversation to be had but i'm all in favor of having locals have a say and have control, you probably would need um, some sort of state agency to hold some things together around the state. Uh, we may be a bit unrealistic to have all six, 615 be able to do their own thing and all be on. I'm not saying they have to be on the same page on everything, but you would need a tad of uniformity.
2: Okay, uh, Rob Walgate uh, is our guest from the Ohio Roundtable. <clears throat> Rob, you and I spoke and uh, Dave Zanotti was on the call as well about uh, about Frank LaRosa's proposal, uh, legislative proposal. He, of course, isn't a legislator. He's the secretary of state. But to change from 50 to 60 percent, the minimum required number of votes uh, in a referendum election to change. The Ohio Constitution. And you want to amend the Constitution? We can't do it with a simple fifty percent plus one. It takes a two thirds majority in the legislature to change the Constitution. Why shouldn't it? Or to, uh, uh, and, and also to uh, uh, to uh, 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 override vetoes. Why shouldn't it require such a standard for the people to do the same thing? Why should a simple majority? get to change that now this of course came up yesterday as well and this one uh you and dave uh got your got your wish on this one it looks like this one is dead as well your thoughts
10: yeah our position has been the same the power resides in the people i know a lot of folks have said that it's easy to get a constitutional amendment on the ballot uh from folks that have done it in the past it's not as easy as it sounds and gathering nearly half a million valid signatures and you have to get a percentage in 44 of the 88 counties and get them all across the state it's a process and i think when you look at that process you you mentioned that to get it in the legislature you need three-fifths to put the amendment on the ballot what's interesting to me is that they tried to do this with a three-fifths vote to put it on the ballot in the fall in the spring i'm sorry um of an off off election year and Representative Stewart, I don't know if you've heard his testimony, he talked about things going on in sleepy May primaries was the language he used. will put things on in a sleepy May primary. Well, he was referring to the people. The people don't have the power to put anything on the ballot, constitutional amendment related, in a sleepy May primary. It's only the General Assembly, and that's what they tried to do. And um, people saw through that, and they didn't do it. I just don't understand, Bob. Here, here was part of the issue is the fact that, some people were tweeting in the morning and in, in, in lambasting Washington, D.C. and the Democrats for what they were trying to attempt to do in a lame duck Congress. And those same people in the afternoon would be tweeting in support of the Republicans in Ohio and what they were attempting to do in a lame duck General Assembly. I was like, wait a minute here. Are these the same folks? it's not good for both sides. It's whatever side that they're on, they want to see things get done. So I think there was a tad bit of um, what's good for the goose is not good for the gander in this situation.
2: Yeah, and this, of course, did not even come up for a vote. So, you know, no. some of the arguments, Robert, um, I think are, are compelling, though. And I did see Stewart's, and I did see, uh, you know, the, some of the language he used. But l- let's talk about the life issue,
6: the mm-hmm. pro-life issue.
2: Um, You know, so many of us celebrated the uh, overturning of Roe versus Wade by way of the Dobbs decision in that it comes back to the courts or excuse me, Mm -hmm. not the courts. It comes back to the legislatures of each of the states. And, of course, they are our most direct. Um, you know, lines to, to government and to legislation. Mm-hmm. We contact our representatives and we tell them what we want in our state. And guess what? We're fortunate. Yeah. In our state, yep. we have a legislature that is overwhelmingly pro life. And, uh, you know, we had the six week, uh, bill in place, uh, and the six week law, as a matter of fact, even before, uh, Roe fell. Uh, but then it was, of course, allowed to go into full effect. And, uh, and it's a great thing for people who believe in life. Yeah. Those who wanted this passed would say, hey, you know, uh, the, all of that overwhelming support in the Ohio General Assembly goes away with a simple 50% of the electorate plus one. Again, in a low turnout, hence his language of Sleepy May Primary, in a low turnout election, we could stick this on there. And then a very small percentage of people, uh, 50% plus one over a small, of a small group of people, could actually overturn the will of the people who put those legislators in place to make us a pro-life state. Mm -hmm. How how would you respond to that one, Rob?
10: I would respond to that in a few ways. One, um, Mm -hmm. the Constitution of the State of Ohio is about we the people, but it's not about a specific issue. And if we want to make it about a specific issue and talk about the life issue, let's talk about it. And pro-life folks like you, like myself, have battled over 50 years on this issue. Now is not the time to run away from that fight and say, wait a minute, we don't want to have that fight. Let's have that fight, let's have that battle, and let's have that talk. But the Constitution is the framework of the state of Ohio, and it's not meant to be an issue-related document. That's not why it was set up. So I think you know we're starting at the wrong end of the argument. We should be starting at the other place, and that's where the Constitution comes into play. And I'm happy to have that fight, and I'm happy to have that discussion. I just don't know why when it's talked about what Why was 60% picked as a number? Why not 65%? Why not 70%? It's interesting to me that the Republicans want to do this. This is a document that's going to last for generations. It's been around since 1851, and it's going to last um, a lot longer than you and I will be here. And this is something that needs to be in place for no matter who's in power. And the thought that if, I mean, I think about how fired up we were when the Republicans messed up the COVID situation. Uh, in the state of Ohio, but if Democrats and history tells us they will be back in control, people from the left will be in control of the state. The thought that to overturn or to have a say, you're going to need 60% of the vote and you're going to give the power to 41% of the people in the state, um, that's not a methodology that I view as a state constitution having and allowing. It takes work to get on there and to change the constitution, and it, it, it's not meant to be a single issue document and the folks bob you're right we (laughs) i think about the dobbs decision i know how many tears have been shed over the past 50 years by so many people and um the fight that was in the thought of raising this to 60 percent would guarantee to keep that, that that's not the way it works
2: no and and you know it's not a you're right it's not a single issue uh situation we're not a single issue state the constitution should not be about a single issue that is just one of the largest ones and one of the most obvious and current i suppose but you know there are other important issues i mean Generally speaking, there aren't groups that are able to get three fifths, as you say, of the population and 44 of the 88, 88 counties to be over 50% just to even get an amendment on the ballot. There aren't too many of those things that make it there. They've got to be pretty doggone important before they can even, that can even be a consideration. So when we do get to those issues, not single, but certain issues that are that important, I still kind of feel like I want a, a significant majority, not just a simple majority, particularly if turnout is an issue, to decide whatever those giant issues are that are well, that are important yeah. enough to get on the ballot, that are important enough to get yeah. on as a referendum on the ballot. Well, two things. One,
10: remember the people only have the access to be on the ballot in the fall, never in the spring. the The um, general assembly can do what they want. We have advocated for years. Yeah. Constitutional amendments are only permitted in the fall of even-numbered years to guarantee that high percentage of Ohioans of turnout. The, the more people that have a say, I would argue, the better, because they'll be more engaged. Uh, Rob, I
2: don't disagree with that, but what was the Ohio turnout, and what was the overall turnout and the Ohio turnout in, in the midterms? Do you know?
10: In the midterms, I believe we were in 55%, in 60% okay. in, reg- in that realm.
2: Okay, so that's a little bit better. Nationally, it was I want to say thirty-eight percent, despite Actually, the record high inflation and and everything yes. else. The, the you know the invasion of the so all the things we're going through. It's amazing to me that only thirty-eight percent of the population turned out to vote in these midterms. But in Ohio was a little bit better; it was around fifty-fifty-five percent. So, as you know, you've done the math yourself. Let's say it's fifty percent, which is a good number in a in a in an even-numbered year fall election. Okay, mm-hmm. that means half of the potential voters came out, and it would only require one quarter of the potential voters then, or one one quarter of the voters, to then pass mm-hmm. something, right? To, to pass something that would change the, uh, the Ohio Constitution. That's still a pretty low low bar, I oh. think, and that's kind of the concern.
10: Well, it, it that would be, and yet the lawmakers wanted to put a constitutional amendment on the spring ballot where Franklin County and others average under 7%. So mm-hmm. the Republicans wanted to change it with under 7% voting. So I think that's, that's still not the right maximum That's still the max turnout we're going to get. I encourage everyone to vote in every election that they are eligible and able to vote. The thought of saying, I guess we could go the route of Pennsylvania, Bob, and say the people don't have the ability to put any amendments on the ballot, and they rest on the shoulders of just trusting politicians. I guess my thing would be if we go to 60 percent, I sure hope everyone listening trusts every elected official because you're going to have to trust politicians all the time because you're going to have a tough threshold to undo anything that's done legislatively. You better trust all of your elected members.
2: Of that, there's no doubt. I love talking about policy and politics uh, with uh, people like Rob Walgate, so uh, well-informed and so learned on these issues, uh, along with uh, everybody at the hotline table. Rob, thank you. Great conversation. Great to hear about 178. I think that is the right thing to do. And maybe not getting a vote for this for LaRosa's bill is the right thing to do, too. I think there are points to be made on both sides. You make a very compelling case that things uh, should be left the way that they are. And I certainly appreciate you bringing, uh, bringing all of that stuff to the airwaves.
10: Thanks, Bob, and I think they'll come back next session. We'll have more discussion, and I'm glad your audience will hear Christmas in America, December 26th. I look Absolutely. forward Absolutely.
2: We are so glad that you guys provide that for us every single year. Obviously, Christmas falling on a Sunday this year. If you're used to waking up on Christmas morning to Christmas in America, the tremendous production uh, by the Ohio Roundtable and the Public Square Broadcast Network. Uh, good news for you. We will have it for you on our actual celebrated day. From a from a business standpoint, a government uh, a national holiday, on Monday the twenty sixth, you will wake up to Christmas in America. Rob, thank you for you guys doing that and for sharing it with us and giving us a chance, a chance to share that with the people. We appreciate it. Merry Christmas, my friend.
10: Appreciate it, my friend. Merry Christmas.
2: Ten fifty five. Time out now. Always Right Radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer.
0: Is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer.
2: Hour number three underway now, eight minutes past 11 o'clock on this Thursday, the 15th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord 2022. Great conversations with Dr. Edward Piper and my friend Rob Walgate last hour. Great conversation with Jack Windsor in hour number one. A lot of stuff going on in Ohio. A lot of stuff going on in Columbus at the State House. It impacts you and me and our kids and our schools. And uh, our ability to conduct free and fair and safe and secure elections as well. Yeah, that one's on the table. Jack and I, Windsor that is, talked about this uh, on our latest podcast, which will drop tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And, uh, wait a minute, what am I saying? Uh, it is Thursday, tonight at 7 o'clock. We recorded it yesterday, apologies. So it'll be tonight at 7 o'clock. And we talked about this in some depth, about um, uh, sent the Ohio Senate passing some bills regarding um, free and fair elections and ensuring that uh, elections are not able to be defrauded in the state of Ohio. And there's some good things that happen. They're not perfect things, but our podcast is called uh, Talk and Smack with Bob and Jack. And we both had some really interesting perspectives on this. Uh, first call I want to take here in hour number three is from somebody else who wants to offer his perspective on those bills passed by the Senate on the way to the House. And we'll see what happens there, if they're going to be changed or amended uh, before they get uh, passed and sent on to Mike DeWine. And that somebody is our good friend from the Ohio Christian Alliance, president of the Alliance, as a matter of fact, Pastor Chris Long, calling and joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Merry Christmas, Chris. How are you, good Good sir.
9: Merry Christmas, Bob. Good to be with you. Looks like I'm batting cleanup today with Jack Windsor and Rob Walgate, and I'm going to uh, address the voter photo ID requirement that passed. Well, by the way, they uh, all the got
2: hits. Those first three guys got hit. So the bases are loaded for you, <laughs> Mr. Cleanup. So let's see uh, let's see, you uh, clear the bases. Well,
9: I'll tell you, you know, um, look, good policy takes time to pass. And uh, we proved that with the Founding of American Documents curriculum. took us 10 years to get that through the Ohio General Assembly. Started working on that, actually, well, probably 1999. Uh, Then in 2003 is what we'd call our official start. And then we got it passed and put it into uh, law here in Ohio. It namely states that uh, the Ohio school children from the 8th to the 12th grade will learn the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist and Anti-Federalist Papers, the Ohio Constitution, and the Northwest Ordinance from the 8th through the 12th grade with an end-of-course exam, one full credit hour dedicated, one half credit hour for American government, one half credit hour for American history. And our organization worked on that for 10 years, and it's been in place for 10 years. We've had to fight to keep it there. Then uh, we've worked, of course, uh, you were in Washington with us last month with the D-Day Prayer Project, and of course it took us uh, 11 years to get that in the ground, and it's about to be uh, finalized here any week now. And thank you for coming to Washington for that, Bob. And then I want to talk to you about voter photo ID requirement. Our organization, the Ohio Christian Alliance, uh, back in, at the uh, uh, conclusion of the 2012 election, Our office, of course, we provide a voter guide. We encourage voter registration. Our people work the polls statewide. So we have a pretty good pulse of what's going on out there in any given election. Well, we got a number of uh, reports of suspicious activity, voter fraud, after the 2012 election. Now, at that time, we had 35 days of open voting because the Ohio legislature, after the 2004 election, And all the criticism that former Secretary of State Ken Blackwell received about disenfranchisement of uh, inner city or minority voters expanded early voting in Ohio for the first time to 35 days and then opened up a window what was called Golden Week, what we see happening in Arizona and Colorado and Nevada, uh, places like that right now where they can register and vote on the same day. We stopped that here in Ohio back in 20. uh, 13, 2014. And what we did as an organization, it was launch a statewide citizen's audit, uh, citizen-led, citizen-initiated. took us 15 months to collect all the information. We collected uh, reports uh, from incident reports, Secretary of State incident reports from boards of election, eyewitness reports, affidavits. We presented our findings to the Ohio General Assembly, both the Ohio House, the Ohio Senate, the Secretary of State, the Attorney General, and the Governor's Office at the time, and urged a number of recommendations. One of those was, of course, to limit early voting, to close what was called Golden Week, in which they did. They reduced uh, early voting from 35 days to 28 days. We also talked about the problem with provisional ballots or absentee ballots. We talked about voter photo ID. So nine years ago, our organization worked on voter photo ID. What am I reporting today? Last night, the Ohio General Assembly did prov- prov- uh, pass these provisions. They now it is now required to have voter photo ID when you go to vote the bill will requires
2: Chris Chris voters- let me interrupt to make sure I have clarification there the story I saw yesterday said just senate so you're saying last night the house approved oh, yeah, it as well Oh
9: yeah it's going to the governor's desk okay
2: so- that's good news i didn't realize that had was a part of last night's marathon that they that they had at
9: the Yep, it got done place. so here's what it says bill would <clears throat> require voters to present a state issued photo id us passport or military id to cast their ballot in person voters could no longer use alternative forms of identification at the polls such as utility bills or bank statements requires complete mail-in ballots to arrive within four days of the election instead of ten permits only one ballot drop box per county so that's some pretty good stuff they got passed last Hold night, on one buddy.
2: second again chris i'm just looking for clarity here um... When I spoke with Jack last night, he was under the impression that the language wasn't even the four days instead of ten, that um, mail-in ballots needed to be received, not postmarked by, but received by 7.30 p.m. the night of the election. That's not accurate?
9: Let's see here. Uh, I'm, I'm reading from the Columbus Dispatch again. Okay. You know the details were worked out. We do Yeah, know and maybe things voter...
2: changed from the time Jack spoke to till this. So possibly,
9: that's possibly yeah. this is a report this morning. As you know, they uh, were in session up till six thirty this morning, right? So uh, some things got hammered out. What is the big news, though, is voter photo ID requirement mm-hmm. is now required in the state of Ohio. Also, one Dropbox per county. Uh, because that's what we see happening in other states where you have multiple drop boxes uh, when we consider ballot harvesting and oh, not yeah. knowing who's dropping these ballots in, okay? And so shoring things up here in the state of Ohio. So this is pretty good piece of legislation here.
2: Two, two caveats, though. Um, one on the drop boxes. Why any drop boxes? And Because unless the one drop box per county is going to be monitored 24-7, and I mean literally with eyes, not just maybe there's video cameras there because you never know how grainy they're going to be, how accurate they're going to be, they need to be monitored in my estimation because it is still open for fraud and stuffing and harvesting and so forth. That's number one. And, and I guess what I'm saying is I, I'm not saying I don't want this bill. I want better is, is, is better than, than bad, I suppose, but it's not perfect. And I don't want the, you know, perfect to be the enemy of the good here. So this is good, but I would like to say no drop boxes. Number two, why do they not, uh, or unless this changed also, the photo IDs don't have to have current addresses on them, which, again, could just open up the possibility if somebody kept their old ID when they got their new ID and they got two different addresses, they can vote in two different precincts. Uh, and, and that's a concern. I would hope that the accuracy of the um, uh, photo ID should, you know, in terms of the address should matter here.
9: Well, that's true. Uh, I think a lot of times now the, the drop box is at the Board of Elections itself. Okay, let's take Summit County. They have one This will reduce them down to one drop box, and it's at the Board of Elections itself. It has uh, security camera uh, monitoring. I think that's going to be the case in most of the cases across the uh, state now with just one drop box. If you only have one... Uh, the board of elections has theirs for after-hour service, right? So and it will be monitored mm-hmm. uh, with video cams. So again, I think this is a good piece of legislation. Again, not a perfect bill. We would like to see early voting reduced uh, to maybe two weeks. We've always had this conversation with the Democrats, saying, "How much early voting do you need?" So if if you think that voting on election day uh, is too cumbersome, how much early voting does do you need? You know, and so this is why. Uh, they had 35 days of open voting. That was ridiculous. Reduced it to 28 days. We'd like to see it reduced to maybe just 10 days of early voting. Uh, but you know, this is this is uh, you know the work that goes on. This ba- battle back and forth with these folks. Without question, I like this quote from Senator. Um, I'm sorry, State Representative Bill Seitz. Uh Seitz pushed back against criticism from his Democratic colleagues. This is all nonsense coming from the organized left that rightly or wrongly wants everyone to be able to do a vote. And we'll serve you an egg McMuffin, breakfast in bed, and bring you a ballot to your house, site said. Well, folks, it doesn't work that way. <laughs>
2: well, that is a great quote, and that's a great example of uh, the kind of stuff that we're talking about. And by the way, I agree with you on, on the 10 days instead of uh, – I, I mean. Truthfully, I'm, I'm a believer in a single day. I, I would be willing to even grant the federal holiday for election day. Um, particularly the, you know, the midterm election day and, uh, presidential election day. I would be willing to say, let's do a federal holiday and just have people voting on the same day, the way it used to be done. However, since we're probably never going to put the toothpaste back in the tube on early voting, limiting it to 10 days is, is preferable to 30. Uh, and Chris, I would ask you this, just as, uh, you know, the kind of voter that you are and the kind of leader that you are, uh, do you agree that it's time for conservative-minded people to start embracing the early voting and embracing the mail-in voting in the same way that the Democrats do so that they can have... uh And I forget who phrased it that way. I keep wanting to give credit to the right person, but I can't remember who said, what we are doing now is, you know, the Democrats are banking votes in those early voting days and through the mail. And all Republicans are doing is giving promissory notes, IOUs. I promise you I'll vote on election day. I promise I'll vote. And it's not, it's not working. They're winning.
9: Well, see, there's two, two story, stories that you're playing out there. One is Ohio, okay? And as an Ohio guy, as an Ohio organization, uh, we have obviously focused on our state, and we're no longer a battleground state. It was just in Washington last week at some meetings, and people said, boy, you guys are no longer purple, you're all red. Well, we've worked on that for a long time to actually push this state uh, to a – we knew we were conservative, and we knew that we need to oversee our election process so that it's not – um, you know, uh, gain saned against, meaning uh, people taking advantage. We had people coming over. Look, we found a lot of voter fraud in t- 2013 after the 2012 election, okay? A lot of double voting. We did a lot of work on that back then. So we've been working on this for a long time. So we've really shored things up in Ohio. But if you're asking me, if I'm living in the state of Arizona, I'm living in California, you better match what – the Democrats are doing. If they're doing ballot harvesting and it's legal in that state, you better be doing ballot harvesting. If uh, you know the Liberal General Assembly has allowed for registration of voting on the same day in the state of California, you be- better be able to match them or you're going to lose elections. You can't just play by the Marcus of Queensbury rules. You know, it's like, well, I'm going to just vote on Election Day. Well, the election's already over by then. How many b- votes were banked in the state of Pennsylvania before the debate, uh, before Oz and Uh, Fetterman uh, before people saw how incompetent Fetterman was and incapable of holding the office, they already had several million votes banked. So that's to your point uh, Bob. Nationally, so it's a different narrative. You're talking Pennsylvania or Arizona, Nevada or California or Colorado. Until The conservatives take back those state legislatures and shore up the votes so we can get back to a a day of election and to which uh, the decisions are made that night. We're going to have to play according to the rules that they're playing with, which are fast and and loose, and you're going to have to be able to match them in ballots. I'm not talking about voter fraud. I'm talking about just being able to uh, make sure you get as many votes in, and if that's (laughs) collecting ballots, if that's having ballots harvesting in those states, if that's having uh, Uh, you know, uh, vans going around and doing voter registration and voting at the same time. Uh, If that's the laws in those states, you're going to have to play according to their laws. They've proven that, or we're going to lose elections.
2: Yeah, very well said. There is a difference between Ohio and some of those other states, no question about it. So, uh, great illustration of that. Chris Long, uh, Pastor Chris Long, who is the president of the Ohio Christian Alliance, terrific news. Thanks for the analysis and the information on what's really in the photo ID votes, or excuse me, the voter photo ID now bill that is going to be heading to Mike DeWine's desk. You don't see any problem with the uh, passage or the assigning, right?
9: I don't think so. I think they had an agreement with the governor as they were working through the negotiations. But we'll have okay. to wait and see. Good deal.
2: Chris Long, thank you so much for bringing that information to us. And once again, to you, sir, Merry Christmas to you and your family.
9: Thank you, Bob. God bless. You too.
2: 1122, got time for more phone calls. The rest of the way, 216 901 0945 and 888 281 1110. And I'm looking for an answer to this question What do you think Donald Trump meant when he said there's an announcement coming and
3: America needs a superhero?
2: Donald Trump's Truth Social page. He and his team put together a graphic animated cartoon of Donald Trump's superhero, ripping his shirt apart as if he's going to display the S for Superman, but instead it's the T for Trump as he stands ripped and muscular in front of Trump Tower. Uh, with his X-ray vision eyes, uh, lasering out for all to see, and then it cuts to major announcement Thursday, December fifteenth. That's today. What do you think his announcement is going to be? I want to hear from you. Two one seven. No, no answers will be uh, will be rejected. I'm curious as to what you think it might be. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. All right
0: Miss something you want to hear? Check out the Always Right Radio podcast anytime at whkradio.com. The
2: 1127 now, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks to Chris Long for joining us this morning. Let's go to Lakewood now, where we find the politically incorrect mechanic, otherwise known as Charlie. How are you, Charlie?
8: Good morning, Bob. How are you?
2: I'm good, man. Uh, thanks for slumming with me after making good buddies with uh, nationally syndicated Hugh Hewitt. So uh, appreciate you. <laughs> st- appreciate you still hey, listening never, to the local never, show once in a while. Forget, now that you're a national celebrity and all.
8: Yeah, I never, I never forget the uh, you know the people that helped me get there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> listen, uh, as usual, I call with one topic and then wind up with three by the time That's I okay. get uh, get on on the phone. Uh, so the first first thing I want to say is after hearing the 10 o'clock news uh, uh, what the conspiracy theorists were right again? China was developing bioweapons, and that's how we all wound up with the
2: coronavirus? No way! You're not supposed to say that out loud. You see, when you say that out loud, you're like Elon Musk, who said that his pronouns are prosecute Fauci, and don't you know that that is the same thing as inciting violence against Dr. Fauci and his supporters?
8: Good thing I don't give a crap. (laughs) Uh, Nor do I. (laughs) Number two, the the my one reason for my the main reason for my phone call was that uh the story with Kirk Cameron. I think I might have mentioned this to you before, but if these are public libraries, meaning they take tax dollars, then aren't they in violation of freedom of speech and religious rights, First Amendment rights, in denying him the ability to speak at these at these facilities? And shouldn't somebody like ADF be looking into violence? My my first blush
2: reaction would be yes. um, But there has to be some kind of uh, standards that they are allowed to set for public libraries. For example, even though you and I would view drag queens coming in there and reading to the kids and then twerking with them as pornographic, it's not as pornographic as pornography is. Uh, and if right. we go straight, First Amendment, everybody has a right to read to kids. Who's to say they can't come in and start reading like Penthouse forum letters and and graphic right. and things like that? Uh, but
8: Christianity. Not and, to mention, and, and not to Christian mention, Satan school.
2: clubs. Satan clubs want to come in and have their their time right. to read to the kids and. So I think they do have the right to set some standards, but you're right, Jack, or Charlie. Uh, it's literally uh, how insane is it that the standards, the line they're drawing in the sand is the one that says, Kirk Cameron can't read about the Bible and family and faith to kids.
8: Right, because that's uh, so much worse oh, than uh, terrifying anything else. And, uh, and then one other thing I, I just wanted to say, Merry Christmas to you guys and, and all the listeners and your family and everything. And... uh I hope you enjoy watching your two favorite Christmas movies, Die Hard and Lethal (laughs) Weapons.
2: Get the heck out of here. I'm done with you. (laughs) Bye. Uh, See you later, Charlie. Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't make me fight this. Don't make me do it. No, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. I will die on that hill as well. It's 1131. We'll be back.
0: Hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and the Floor King.
2: Well, the major announcement has been made. Johnny, you got a drum roll, possibly somewhere nearby? No, All right. Oh, don't you drum? Oh no, you play. You play guitar. So President Trump got everybody's appetite all wet and got everybody excited by posting on his Truth Social yesterday, America needs a superhero. I will be making a major announcement tomorrow. Thank you. And then the major announcement says Thursday, December 15th, which is today. It had everybody wondering, is he going to announce a running mate? Is he going to announce something other dramatic, uh, something dramatic having to do with a lawsuit? Anything about the stolen election of 2020? Uh, What could be the major announcement? Well, the major announcement has been made. Thank you, John. Donald Trump is selling cartoon trading cards of himself. I think that probably called for the tuba. More than uh, more than what you just gave me. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. That's the major announcement. Are you ready? Major announcement. 37 minutes ago, President Trump posted this on his Truth Social. My official Donald Trump digital trading card collection is here. Mind you, it's a digital trading card, which means you don't even actually get the physical card like a baseball card. You just get a picture on your screen. Donald Trump digital trading card collection is here. These limited edition cards, <laughs> limited edition? If it's digital, can't anybody who has one do a screenshot of it and share it with everybody else in the world? These limited edition cards feature amazing art of my life and career. Collect all of your Trump, favorite Trump digital trading cards, very much like a baseball card, but hopefully much more exciting. Go to collecttrumpcards.com and get your cards now. Johnny, if I were to ask you, what price would you put on a digital trump trading card? What would you say? Oh, 100 bucks? You are you're you're smarter than I am. I would have thought 99 cents per card. Get your cards now only $99 each. $99 for a cartoon of Donald Trump in a cape with a big T and what looks like a a wrestling heavyweight championship belt around his uh, waist with a flag in the middle and Trump something. I can't read the rest of it. But he wrote, would make a great Christmas gift. Don't wait. They will be gone, I believe, very quickly. Again, if it's a digital trading card, how can it go away ever if I screenshot my digital card and share it with other people? Second of all, what? What? So I'm looking at some of the cards. Now, again, what he said in his tweet, or his uh, Truth Social, rather, was that these are limited edition edition cards featuring amazing art of my life and career. Apparently, in his life and his career, he has been a cowboy. He has been an astronaut. He has been another kind of astronaut. He has been a football coach, he has been a race car driver, and he has been a wrestling champion. Those are just the ones that I'm seeing right now. There's <laughs> What is this? What am I seeing? What am I what am I missing? I've, there's got to be something that I'm missing here. This can't be real. Because if this is real, <sighs> It's, it's just more head-shaking, making you wonder, is he, is, he, is he there? Is he all there? Is he good? Is he okay? I, I, I don't understand. I just don't understand. Let me see if there's anything else. There's a video. Hello,
3: everyone. This is Donald Trump, hopefully your favorite president of all time, better than Lincoln, better than Washington, with an important announcement to make. I'm doing my first official Donald J. Trump NFT collection right here and right now. They're called Trump Digital Trading Cards. These cards feature some of the really incredible artwork pertaining to my life and my career. It's been very exciting. You can collect your Trump Digital cards just like a baseball card or other collectibles. Here's one of the best parts. Each card comes with an automatic chance to win amazing prizes, like dinner with me. I don't know if that's an amazing prize, but (laughs) it's what we have. Or golf with you and a group of your friends at one of my beautiful golf courses, and they are beautiful. I'm also doing Zoom calls, a one-on-one meeting, autographing memorabilia, and so much more. We're doing a lot. My official Trump digital trading cards are ninety nine dollars, which does right, I'm going
2: to stop like it very very there. It's actually kind of fun now. It's actually kind of fun. These and it sounds like it is an actual physical card. They're calling it digital because it's you know made up artwork on the front, as these in all these poses with all these outfits and costumes. But it uh, it is an actual card, and with it comes a raffle or a lottery for you to have one of these experiences with Trump. It's just funny, and we'll talk more tomorrow. Everyone, have a great day. Bye bye.